We talk a lot on this podcast about chess improvement, but when it comes to improving your hiring processes, Indeed is the platform you need. Indeed has over 350 million global monthly visitors, and it has a matching engine that helps you find quality work candidates fast. You can use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with your candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree that Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Years ago, when I was running a chess teaching business, I found it hard to find good help, and I had to go through a lot of back and forth to even screen potential candidates. Indeed allows you to do those things efficiently in one place. Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed for hiring, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of Perpetual Chess will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility if you go to Indeed.com slash chess. Just go to Indeed.com slash chess right now, and you'll be supporting our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast, Indeed.com slash chess. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere. And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Perpetual Chess. We have another guest I have long wanted to speak with who will be joining us shortly. But before we introduce him, I did want to give a shout out to our presenting chess education sponsors, Chessable.com. Some of their new courses include Fundamental Chess Calculation by recent guest candidate master Ken Kabadai. And uh, Sam Shanklin is out with his latest in his Neo-Catalan series, Neo-Catalan Volume 3. Sam, of course, is rightfully always a popular regular author, chessable author, and we are excited for that one. So I'll link to those as well as to some of my all-time chessable favorites and appreciate their support as always. As for our guest this week, he is a journalist, a dad, and the author of the brand new book co-authored, co-authored with Grandmaster uh, Jakob Agard called Endgame Labyrinths. It's available obviously in book form, also on Forward Chess. Um, it goes deep into the topic of endgame studies, uh, which is fitting because our guest, in addition to being a strong amateur player with a peak FIDE rating in the 2200s, is a world champion chess study composer. Um, he's an IM of FIDE for chess compositions and has been winning all kinds of plaudits for his creative. Uh, tactical studies and uh, an expert in the field. And obviously, I've interviewed a lot of people who mentioned solving studies as an improvement tool over the years. 
but I have never interviewed someone, well, with the possible exception of Jan Timmen, who is uh, accomplished in many realms. I've never interviewed someone with uh, such a specialized focus in chess studies and so many achievements in uh, chess study composition. So I am pleased to welcome to the program, Stefan Slumstrip-Nielsen. Welcome, Stefan. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Yeah, excited to have you. And I've been digging into the book. It is um, so many beautiful endgame studies in it. Uh, extremely challenging. So I would definitely uh, caution listeners, don't purchase it expecting to solve every puzzle. But I, I mean, I don't even know if you call them puzzles. To me, they st still do qualify as puzzles. And we'll dig into that in time, Stefan. But I thought for starters, it might help frame the conversation if we heard about how you got into this sort of rabbit hole within the rabbit hole of chess, of uh, chess study composition? Um, the, that's, it's a good question. I think I already had the interest when I was, was a teenager, but at that point I, I, I loved playing the competitive game as well. And then at some point I realized that that uh, I was never going to, be going to become an, a GM or, or even an international master. Uh, and and I, I I started making these mini puzzles in the beginning without a computer. I showed it to my clubmates, and they said, "Okay, this is this is uh, hideously cooked. This uh, <laughs> problem you you show us." Uh, then I went back and tried to improve it, and then I got a computer. And then then from then on, I I spent a lot of my spare chess time uh, making these puzzles or in game studies without ever mm, submitting them. To uh, to tournaments or or publishing them in any ways, uh, it was like that for for maybe ten years, and then uh, eventually I that I got the idea to to submit one of these studies to a, to a tournament, and uh, that's how I got started. Okay. And for listeners, cooked basically means that there's like a faulty solution. Um, there's, you think you, there's only one linear path to an answer, but it turns out either the answer is wrong or there's multiple solutions. Is that the correct definition, Stefan? Yeah. If it's cooked, it's, uh, you, you cannot meet the stipulation. If it's, uh, if there's a dual, that means, uh, that means that there are more than one solution and that doesn't work either, of course. Yeah. So yeah. All, all kinds of guidelines and rules and in the book mm -hmm. that Stefan and Jakob also get into sort of different tactical themes and uh, mm -hmm. different elements that people find pleasing about uh, endgame studies. And just so that we can sort of start at the broadest level for anyone who hasn't um, gotten into this world, how would you define an endgame study, Stefan? Uh, it's a, it's a, a just uh, puzzle where you have to either win or draw. It's always white to move. White has to find a way to to the win the position. It will normally say white to move and win. And then uh, the you as a solver will have to find the path for white to win. And it doesn't mean win in two or three or four moves. It means to win eventually. So you have to prove a win in, in all against all black defenses. Basically. Okay. Yeah. And in the book, you write that your aim when you go to compose a study is for it to be artistic and accessible. Is that yeah. like is, is that something that you've come to over time, or was that sort of your aim from the beginning when you when you describe sort of just in the tinkering in the on your own? In the beginning, I wanted it to to make to be artistic, basically to make something that's exciting and interesting, 
and uh, and new. So I I remember very clearly the first uh, st- major study that I worked on. I had an idea of uh, two black pawns about to promote both on the second rank in white hat bishop and two bishops and a rook and they somehow they they kept checking the black king so black was never allowed to promote and then in the end white won and uh, this was like a, a a complicated idea to begin with but for me it was all about artistry and i did i didn't think i didn't consider anyone trying to solve it because it was very difficult and so but, sorry go ahead that was the first study but after that i i've opened my eyes more to to the solving part of of the of the studies trying to to think about what a good chess player would think in this position and then try to find uh, another solution and that to find a paradox or something yeah, and it's it's kind of hard to describe on audio format, but basically there's a lot of sort of very creative, unexpected moves, and often like that move might even just be a pit stop on the way to another solution or to an even sort of greater um, creative or unexpected move. You did an interview with uh, Satanic Mukati, um, Mukuti, sorry, Satanic from uh, Chesspace India, where you you walked through sort of getting the inspiration from this Daniil Dubov game and then kind of yeah. working to make something more, um, even more pleasing to the eye than this nice combination uh, that Dubov played. And I found that to be a, a helpful exposition. Now, you mentioned, Stefan, that you initially weren't even working with engines when you started to sort of try to create studies. Obviously, engines have taken over in terms of uh, calculation prowess. So what, what's your approach now as it relates to engines as you're trying to compose something? I I always sit at, with the computer or the, the phone when I compose now. I, I never use a board anymore. Uh, but but there are two ways to use engines or computers. That, that's the way where you, you sit, probably sit uh, with the chess base and the stockfish running. And you have an idea, and you want to see if if uh, if the idea is correct. If there's only one solution, so normally when I sit with chess base, I, I show four variations, the four best moves. So I, I put up a set up a position, and then I see okay, white wins in, in with the best move, and the other moves uh, are not enough. So I, I use this tool all the time to check, and then I. I I see, okay, this is still not interesting enough. So I add some pieces and I check again and I add some more pieces and I shift some pieces and I move them around to, to make my idea work. And I use this engine for checking. That's, that's the one way to use computers. The other way is to, to, to mine the table bases, which means uh, you, you look for certain positions in, in the Nalimov and the, table bases, the seven-piece table bases. That is, you can make a search, for instance, uh, for all positions with five pieces where white wins only by playing his bishop from a8 to h1, for instance, or some something very specific. And then you get some a printout saying these, uh, these are the 10 positions where this move works, and you look see if there's something interesting in there. That's That's the other way to use computers. And, and, you, and not, you do both? No, I, I don't. I only use 
for now, I'll say I only use the first method. Okay. Because I'm not, I'm not a computer expert in any way, and uh, and and I really like the the process of finding these things myself. To be honest. Yeah. But that... some of my fellow composers, uh, they 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 uh, they are into this mining, and it's interesting and fascinating as well. It's just another way to make studies. And Stefan, you mentioned in the in another interview, you, you have a family. Um, so part of you think you mentioned part of the reason that maybe you've uh, gravitated more towards study composition than OTB competition is that you can do it for little bits at a time. You don't have to leave the yes. house. You mentioned doing it on commutes. So I'm curious if you're working on it away from home, um, are you turning the engine on in the phone or is that more sort of a brainstorming uh, situation? No, that, that's uh, that's um stock quiz uh, app as well. Okay. Uh, yeah. And, but as you mentioned, computers weren't um, as dominant when you started. So when did you start to work all basically exclusively with engines as you work to compose uh, these beautiful puzzles? Yeah, from from the moment I, I submitted my first study, I used the computer all the time. It was very, it's just uh, maybe even back in the 90s, in the very beginning when I tried to get these ideas that uh, I didn't use a computer. And then uh, when I submitted the first study in 2011, from that point, I've used computers. Okay. And do you personally, as a, obviously someone who composes so many amazing studies, also consumes a lot. Do you, What are you drawn to when you're present? What are you drawn to as a study solver or uh, chooser? Mm-hmm. Um. It's such a complicated question because I'm drawn to a lot of stuff. But what I I like, because I'm not a grandmaster, I like clarity. I like a position where I understand the solution and I understand why why only one road to the goal uh, works. Uh, But but, uh, at the same time, I want to be surprised by this path. So I, I, I like surprise. And I like uh, special effects, if you can say that. Some, okay. some uh, shocking moves, taking your rook from f1 to f7, uh, where it can be captured by three black pieces. I like this effect, uh, but but the it, the variations at the same time they need to be short and understandable for for players of my level and even uh, below my level. And so again peak rating in the 2200 so certainly a very strong amateur player but i can certainly relate to what you're saying about you reaching a moment where you realized you were not going to be an im or a gm but do you feel like calculation- it was not even it was not it was not it certainly was a question of talent but also a question about uh endurance and and focus and and uh and being willing to sacrifice a yeah. lot of stuff because i was never that type of player who uh who was, uh, you know, very ambitious, in fact. Yeah, it just takes so much, so much work. Mm-hmm. Um, and when you're given a study, if you're presented one, do you immediately try to solve it? Or do you kind of look at the contours? I'm just curious, as someone who's obviously, even before this book, seen so many. And of course, you mentioned going through the famous Endgame study database with Grandmaster Agard to select the material for Endgame Labyrinths. Mm-hmm. I. I, I tr- if if someone posts a study uh, that I don't know on Twitter or Facebook, I try to solve it for maybe a couple of minutes. But I, I'm also a very uh, lazy solver, to be honest. And uh, I think 
the readers of the book, they need to be anything but but lazy. And and I'm very quick at uh, checking with the computer for the solution of, of uh, because I'm I'm most of all curious to know the solution, to know what's special about this position, what is the how does it uh, how does it stand apart from 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 other similar positions. So it's very much about exceptions uh, and paradox. Yeah. And and I can relate to that as well. We should say sort of the top line goal of the book, um, and maybe you could explain, you could um, expound on this better than I can. But basically, you and Grandmaster Agard, as you as Agard writes in the intro, sort of tooled around with various endgame studies, and then wanted something that sort of compiled the best and sort of the most helpful for improvement. Is that um, an accurate description? That's true, and the one that the uh, yeah are most useful for 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 practical usage, okay. uh, not 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 the not the artistically best studies, but the most uh, uh, the best and the most useful. Studies. Okay, yeah, and I do want to echo what you were saying. I took a a similar approach when I was reading the book. I of course read all the prose, but but yeah, when it came time to study, I <laughs> I you know my chess ambition. Well, as like you was probably never strong enough to get me to a, a higher level and certainly isn't strong enough now. So, um, but the way I consume the book is one that I still would recommend and consider worthwhile, especially because the material is so challenging that you can just get it on forward chess, spend a minute or so sort of brainstorming and then sort of play the solution. And there's so many creative solutions that are pleasing to the eye um that even if you like like us uh, old dads you're not super ambitious you can still enjoy it when we come back we will hear stefan's thoughts and a quote from grandmaster jakob agard on how helpful solving endgame studies is for your chess improvement we'll be right back okay round two name something that's not boring a laundry oh a book club computer solitaire huh Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over a hundred casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. Eighteen plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper, a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver? I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. And we are back. Do you have a philosophy about how helpful solving endgame studies, or an opinion, I should say, how helpful it is for chess improvement? 
uh, I have an opinion that is very useful, but I ha of course I have no way to to prove it. Or no one made ever made any study of this. I think, but um, but I think it it must it must help uh, for pattern recognition. Knowing all these uh, stalemate patterns, all these uh, these positions where where a past pawn is unstoppable, because even against maybe a bishop and a knight who are somehow uh, helpless to stop the pawn, there are hundred and uh, or even thousands of these patterns that are shown in endgame studies in in artistic form, and and you need to you need to know these, and I think even especially now when there's this uh, short time control no knowing these patterns knowing to when there's a stalemate on the horizon instinctively knowing that now is the moment you you need to to find the correct precise uh, way to draw or to win uh, that's what you learn from from studies yeah yeah that that makes sense and i'll share what uh grandmaster agard and of course Obviously, this topic has come up repeatedly on the podcast when I recently interviewed uh, Anna Zatonsky, and she mentioned sort of redoubling her efforts, getting ready for the Cairns Cup. She said that what she did to get ready for the tournament was solve endgame studies for hours a day, uh, every day. There's been plenty of other trainers. David Howell talked about how they were formative for him as a kid. Uh, Melik Kachian, I know, is a big fan in, in both his own study and his training materials. So, of course, there's legions of devotees, although also one or two, I don't know if I'd call them naysayers, but there is sort of the knock that sometimes they can be impractical because, as you say, you like something with like a tidy solution um, mm -hmm. and, uh, you know, chess over the board doesn't work that way. So that's a long that's preamble true. to Grandmaster Agard's quote, which I will read and sorry, and Stefan, and then feel free to chime in. So Grandmaster Agard writes, solving difficult exercises enters into the scene when you make a push past the local scene and start to compete in international tournaments. For this, endgame studies can be highly useful. The requirement of having one narrow path to the podium is actually less unrealistic for the practical player's experience than one would think. But even if it was, then training is meant to isolate the improvement of specific skills, not mimic practical play in its entirety. That's called playing. Uh, so I found that insightful, but sorry, uh, you were going to say something? Uh, no, I forgot. <laughs> what I was <laughs> okay. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I mean, again, different opinions may vary and uh, people want to focus on what they enjoy as well. But uh, certainly um, it it has to help your calculation skill to uh, solve these difficult puzzles repeatedly. Um, do you feel like calculation was a strength of yours? I mean, I know you're still playing some league games, so I guess I should say is a strength of yours as a oh, player, you should, you Stefan? Should, you should say it was. Was? Sure. Okay. Yeah. Um, I think uh, I was pretty good at calculation. I was uh, very poor at, at opening play. So I, I, I believe my style was, I was uh, basically a, a swindler when okay. I used to play. I uh, I got into bad positions that my positional play was not good. And I I, uh, I liked uh, unstructured position and uh, unbalanced positions so I can, you know, trick my opponent to basically. It's it's not entirely true because I know some positional play as well. And and uh, my end game was uh, particularly weak, I can tell you. I always told my teammates that I would never enter an end game if unless I was at least two pawns up, because I, I knew I would, uh, <laughs> I would uh, mess it up, because my practical end game 
was was very weak. I think it, it was a lack of energy, to be honest, or or you know persistence and keep playing the best moves in time pressure. Uh, I've, I've, I got nervous, I think, mostly in the end games, and I'm not even sure if I had enough knowledge. That's interesting. <laughs> yeah, because there's the dichotomy in end games where, like, people who are strong positional players who might have a sense for sort of the harmony of chess pieces can excel at end yeah. games, but there's also the brute force calculation that can come into play. Mm -hmm the fewer pieces on the board. So I can get what you're saying, uh, especially as it relates to stamina with maybe not being great at the first aspect, yeah. but as you've div dove into the world of endgame studies, it strikes yeah. me that you would be strong at the, the calculation side of things. I I, I probably would, uh, but uh, I, I don't play enough now to, to have any way to, to, to prove it. Uh, I believe I won my last four games, but it's been four years playing these four games, so I don't okay. play a lot anymore. So you were you were playing in a league in Copenhagen, is that correct? Uh, now I play uh, my games in Copenhagen. Okay. When but... I was uh, at when I was a top player at my top peak rating, I played in the Danish national best league. Okay. But, but that was it. But and did you make a conscious decision to stop playing that? No, no. I got uh, I got less interested in all the board play. I got a family. I started with studies. I, I, I know for a fact that I started composing my first major study in 2007. And I recently checked and that was the exact moment my rating peaked. So uh, <laughs> it it doesn't uh, doesn't really support the idea that in-game studies uh, helps your all the board play. Because the moment I started Going into endgame studies, my bracing uh, went down. Maybe but you had the uh, the engine on too much. <laughs> yeah, probably, probably. And uh, <clears throat> how many hours a week, Stefan? Would you say? I mean, obviously, this book has been a project of immense magnitude. But uh, preceding the book, how many hours would you say you were spending uh, composing? Maybe uh, seven hours a week. Okay, that's not but, that's not crazy. Yeah. That's a healthy no, no, it's habit. It's not crazy. But maybe I'm. Maybe it's more like fourteen. To be honest, uh, I mean, every quiet moment with my phone, I would say I'm probably <clears throat> working on some sort of idea. And I'm not the the type of composer who gets an idea and then keeps working on it until it's done. I have maybe one hundred fifty studies in a PDN file on my computer, half baked ideas that are waiting to become real. So I, I use five minutes here on one study, five minutes on the other. And then at some point I, I realize, okay, this is going to be good. I, I'll finish it. I'll, I'll uh, submit it somewhere. And what does your family think of, um, of this hobby? <laughs> um, well, my youngest daughter is two and a half. I think she doesn't care. <laughs> that sounds, uh, sounds about right. <laughs> my wife is a bit older and uh, I think she's the... Uh, believes it's it's a bit too much i mean i'm 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 at home i'm not at the club playing at night right i'm i'm, I'm at home <laughs> so so that that's good but uh, perhaps i spend too much time on my phone on the studies for sure and especially with three kids so and when you won the world championship did that change either your calculus or her calculus how did how did that feel no no it it changed nothing because it's uh I mean, th th that's the great part about studies. Uh, there's all these discussions now about uh, 
about influencers and money in chess, but we know for a fact that a study composer that there's no money to be had in right. our business. So, so, uh, um, so even as a world champion, it doesn't really change anything. It's it's the title. She was uh, surprised. I think I knew she knew I had a chance, but uh, she was surprised. But it's a uh, it's a hobby. It's a fantastic hobby. It's the best. But yeah, I watched your talk on. Uh, there's a there's a talk you give on YouTube presenting some of your studies, and you talk mm -hmm. about sort of what gets engagement on social media in terms of the way puzzles are presented versus uh oh, yeah. versus um what uh what makes a good end game composition study um obviously the examples you gave were helpful but in sort of um uh, a more audio accessible format could you sort of describe the that uh push and pull the difference between a puzzle and a, a study. Yeah, like so what what is what makes a good end game study compared to what's likely to get a lot of clicks on on uh, Instagram or Twitter? For one thing, an, a typical end game study is is more difficult than the average position put on Facebook and Twitter. That's one thing, and and uh, there are a lot of uh, combination exercises on Facebook where. Uh, you know, uh, there's the white rook on h1. It goes to uh, it's sacrificed, and then the queen comes and checkmate in four moves or something like that. That's a that's a typical combination that's shown on Facebook or Twitter. But but this tactical motive, these uh, typical attacking motives, they've been seen one hundred thousand of times. So so as a composer, you need to to do a little more. You need to make a spectacular move with white. Uh, for instance, and then Black has to counter this with a spectacular move of his own, and then play has to continue from there. Uh, the tension has to remain for more than uh, a couple of moves, and both White and Black must must play actively. That that's uh, th in fact that is one of the mantras of of the best composer now and probably forever, uh, Alek Pavakov from Russia. That 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 endgame studies that, uh, must be there must be a battle between black and white, and black has to be creative as well. It's not a, a forcing sequence. It's uh, yeah, it, it's uh, it's a full blown battle of of ideas. That's beautiful. And when you think, so you've mentioned you've won a couple prizes for your studies. Um, did you, in looking back at them, do you actually look at them as better than your others, or do you just think there's as as you've mentioned, it's artistic? Do you just think that those sort of happen to win? Uh, normally, when you get a prize, the it's the prop the pro studies are better than your average studies, but uh, judges are, are human, mm -hmm. and it's uh, that's uh, typically in a tournament. There's one judge. Who says okay this is the best study this is the next best best and so on but it's uh it, it's uh, it's his or hers uh, opinion and uh, there are not a lot of rules for judges to to judge by so if you want to compare it with anything in, in the sporting world it's uh, like uh, i think it's artistic skating that yeah figure skating yeah figure skating exactly figure skating where of course they have some rules to go by they have some something to measure the difficulty of the of the tricks 
but but a lot of this is uh, individual as well. So you cannot automatically say that a that a study that won a major prize is uh, a very good study, because judges make mistakes or or just have different opinions. Okay, and when you do make a a study that won a prize, like we we talked about how much time you spend per week, mm-hmm. but to to make a study that you're proud of, how much time would have gone into that particular study <clears throat> on average? Uh, I, I I cannot tell you exactly how many hours I spent on the study, but I say that most of my best studies have it's been half an year, at least half a year from the start moment wow. I began uh, to the moment I finished it, because uh, because I spent time on other projects and other studies as well, I returned. To it, I say, okay, this is a promising position, but it's not the perfect setting yet. Um, and I can tell you that the very first study that I worked on, it's it's a really funny story actually. Uh, that was when I started composing. I didn't some haven't hadn't submitted anything to any tournament yet, but I, I made this and I started working at it in two thousand and six. And I know for for a fact that I showed my friend a version of it in two thousand and seven because I remember this trip and I showed him this position um, and then uh, I worked on it some more and I know that I submitted this t- study in 2011 to a tournament held uh, for the, for the London 2012 Lo- uh, Olympics the the real Olympics not just IOC Olympics and and this study that I finally managed to to send and I, I really liked my very first study it was not awarded by the judge. The judge didn't like it. He, he's just uh, ignored it in his uh, prize giving. So uh, you can spend five years and still get nothing. I can sure. How did how did that feel? I mean, it must were you upset? I was, it was uh, it was awful. Like, I remember really waiting for this award. I, I checked my email <laughs> even you know to see when it came because that's normally how you receive awards or checked uh, websites. And then it was there, and uh, I was not mentioned. <laughs> Did that make you have any second thoughts? Like, why? Like, wh- what uh, am I doing <laughs> with my apparently time? Not, apparently not, because at that well, it's hard to tell. Because at that moment, I already sent my second study for for the Jan Timmen 60, 60th Jubilee tournament, and that was my breakthrough study. That was the first very good one, and I won that tournament. So I, I cannot tell you if uh, if that had. Uh, fallen as well uh, if i would have given up at that moment <laughs> could be yeah i mean obviously I, sorry go ahead yeah but i but I, but no i i can't believe it because i i already had this interest in uh, in in chess curiosities i was an eager uh, reader of uh, tim copy's uh, blog that is still there but maybe not active anymore uh with all his uh, there were a lot of studies there as well, but other also crazy game fragments. So I always loved this uh, part of uh, of fun in chess. So uh, I don't think I would have stopped even. Uh, yeah, for for listeners not familiar, Tim Crabbe has an old blog called Chess Curiosities that has end game studies, but also has tons of other sort of you know best games, best checkmates, so on and so forth, and. Uh, yeah, last updated in 2022. I, of course, 
have a uh, chess newsletter where I gather the chess news and I have a long list where I check sites every week to make sure nothing's updated. So I still check Tim Crabbe every week just in case. Yeah. And, and uh, uh, listeners, it's sad, it's, it's sad uh, that he, he stopped. I think he's now into maybe writing uh, novels or about cycling or I don't know. Yeah, I did interview him about two years ago, and yeah, he was working on pushing out another novel. So, yeah. <laughs> um, so it's, it's uh, understandable. And and so what I was asking you about, sort of, and I want to get back to to your winning composition in the Timon competition in a second. But so what I was asking you about uh, whether you felt deflated after working for five years and being really proud and not winning a prize. I mean. Every chess player has moments where they're thinking of just quitting chess, like after a tough loss or whatever it may be. So so quitting composition, obviously, I would expect nothing different. Um, so um, but I'm glad that I mean, it's it's good that you persevered and got some positive feedback. So obviously, Jan Timmen is probably the most famous um, over the board chess study composer aficionado. Um, of course, there have been people like Smyslav in, in, in past eras and many others. Um, but did you meet Timon when you competed in the the, comp the contest name for him? No, no, I didn't. I, uh, I wrote shortly with him, uh, but at that time I, I, I didn't meet him. I met him twice afterwards uh, at, the, at the ExtraCon Open in Helsinki in Denmark, where he played and i went to 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 see the games okay did you get to chat with him yeah, yeah we 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 showed each other studies for maybe one and a half hours yeah it was uh it was uh, amazing it was i mean he he wanted to see my studies so i was okay <laughs> that's cool. uh, he's a, a very a great man big name yeah proud and in he a, also in he a... also wanted to show his studies to me and uh, like a like a child, like look, right. look, 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 look what I made, and uh, I couldn't believe that I was sitting opposite uh, no world champion candidate. Yeah, yeah, amazing. Um, and in that sort of environment where you're uh talking with one of your colleagues and sort of bouncing ideas off of each other, when they show you a study, like how long are you going to sit there and try to solve it? <laughs> um, uh. Me personally, uh, I, I would I would like to start by solving. So at least spend five ten minutes when you are sitting with the board in front of you, uh, to just to to try, and then at some point I say I'm not a strong solver. Please show the first couple of moves, and then you know, at at one point you get to the climax, and then you you would want to solve that for sure because that's uh, you want to see the idea. Yeah, that's interesting. I hadn't thought of, thought of it in terms of a climax, but just in having played through so many in this book, you do kind of reach a moment where you feel like there's momentum and you can start to figure yeah. things out. Whereas at the beginning, yeah. it's it's uh, it's quite challenging. Um, yeah. And uh, of course, with uh, all quality chess books, there is likely a preview that that uh, listeners can check out online. Again, I highly recommend this book. Whether you're if you're an ambitious player, I would say probably want to be rated at least 1900 feet a to really take this on from a training perspective um but again there's plenty to just enjoy as you play through it after the break we will hear what stefan observed from seeing how grandmaster sam shanklin and others approach solving endgame studies we'll be right back 
And we are back. And I enjoyed the chapter Solve Like a Grandmaster, where mm-hmm. you guys uh, present these to a panel um, of strong players, including Sam Shanklin, uh, I believe Christopher Yu, and uh, many others. Um, and uh, so I'm just curious how that, how you guys went about that. Like, was I'm assuming this was done online and uh, was, done, yeah. done with the honor system? Yeah, exactly. Okay. And how it do was. you think, sorry, go ahead. I know you go. Oh, I was going to ask, how do you think a players like that would approach it? Like, do you think Shanklin's spending hours on these or is he also maybe 15 minutes and then, all right, let's get on with it. I, I know for a fact that uh, how, how he goes about solving these, because Jakob told me this, that, that, um, he, uh, he looks at the starting position, then he says, it can only be this move. So I make this looks move. for the most ridiculous move. Yeah. yeah no, <laughs> right. no, 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 not. It makes a practical choice, like like he was sitting in fr- at the board. Okay. Uh, and then uh, at some point, black makes a comes. Uh, there's a black surprise, and then he reacts to that. Uh, when, at the board, he will react to to black the black move that is surprising. So, in fact, a couple of these studies he failed to solve because he didn't uh, take into consideration the black counterplay. He thought the solution was easier than it was. In fact, was. So he didn't see what black could do, but he did. But if he had been sitting at the board, he he didn't he didn't. Uh, it was not necessary for him to um, to see the black counterplay because once the move was played, he would be able to find the reputation reputation. So he he had a he had a very practical way of solving studies, and I think some of the other top solvers who are you know more trained at solving studies they would. Uh, they would look for the artistic point of the study from the very beginning. They will, you know, look for piece configurations that would suggest that now there's a stalemate or now there's a mate, something like that. But Sam was more practical. It, that makes sense. That that yeah, must make sense. Yeah, it's it's interesting to to hear. And I also found it interesting. Um, that Christopher Yu, I know that he had uh, gotten some some attention for some of the studies that that he's um, that he has done, and I know he's a killer chess training uh, uh, student, and uh, so works with Grandmaster Agard frequently. But uh, they mentioned in the book that he decided to discontinue the hobby of composing studies because it was affecting his thinking during games, which uh, I I found that hey, fascinating. I'm- he is, he's in the, uh, as far as I know, he's like an incredible uh, calculator at the board. He can calculate lines and solving studies. Uh, he he does in a split second as well. Most studies, of course. Uh, it's, it's a shame that he stopped composing, but I, I'm not sure if composing will affect your playing strength. It will take a time away from, from studying uh, Right. That that would be the main thing. Yeah. So there's the opportunity cost. But I can also imagine if you're sitting at a board, sort of as Jakob describes, where there's a bishop on G2 and you think, what if it were on G, you know, G4? (laughs) Yeah. yeah. It's not not the most helpful thought process necessarily for calculating, but maybe like like Jan Timmen, he can return to it um, in his later years. Um, Yeah. But but maybe a a good example is Kaspar Pirun from uh, Poland. 
He's a 2650 Grandmaster, and he takes part in these uh, solving competitions where you not only solve studies, but also uh, uh, helpmates and selfmates and 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 uh, problems that are even further removed from the over-the-board game of chess. And he, he he's not uh, taking any damage from this. He's still a very strong over-the-board player. So you cannot automatically say that you... That, well, <laughs> that but that's things. solving rather than composing, that's right? Sol- that's solving, that's true. Yeah, uh, I, yeah. I think solving, it, it, it can't be bad, you know? <laughs> um, yeah. uh, although I, I write about this in my book, there's a there's a chapter about endgame studies and I was emailing with Grandmaster Vocek Miranda, an mm-hmm. author, and he's actually, he's slightly against, he doesn't like the impractical studies, um, no. which... Uh, which I know you guys try to avoid in in this this book. So um, that brings me back to the question of curation. So of course you're drawing from. Um, I'm sorry. Can you um, pronounce the Dutch gentleman's name? Who uh, I have the Endgame Study database, but I don't want to mispronounce his name. I'm not sure, but Harold van der Heiden. Okay, yeah, that, that was better than than I would do. Um, so, what was the process of going through? I mean, you're starting with eighty thousand endgame studies and whittling it down. Uh, for how many did you end up with in the book? Uh, One thousand and two. Okay, so uh, yeah, that's that's a big process. How did you go about doing that? It's uh, it's I think it's even ninety five thousand now in the most recent wow. uh, edition of his database, and the next one will will cross uh, one hundred thousand for sure. But but I did the initial initial uh, sorting of the studies. I, in fact, I I went by composers. I I found the the names of the strong composers from the past that I know: Kasparian, uh, uh, Kupel, Troitsky, and I I just looked through all the studies to see which positions looked uh, game like, like a uh, really end games, not uh, crazy positions with five bishops and all, all that. So uh, in the end, I I had narrowed it down to two thousand studies, uh, and I thought that would be would be enough. But uh, uh, then Jakob starting started uh, removing uh, the the crazy ones, the one that were not really helpful for the practical players, and he we ended down below uh, one thousand. And I had to find a lot of extra studies to put in the book. Wow! Yeah, and just. <laughs> A, a treasure trove, an amazing, um, amazing compilation of books. And we should say, by the way, that Harold's database, you can purchase if you have chess base, you can purchase it. I think it's about 50 bucks. And he just, you know, you just pay him through PayPal and he emails it to you and it'll keep you busy for the rest of your life if you want. So, um, so <laughs> it's a PGN database. Uh, yeah. So, so can you be used with chess base? Yes. Yeah. So, so worth supporting if you're interested. Absolutely. But I also wanted to ask you about sort of the legacy of uh, Endgame study books. You mentioned again in your Chessbase inter- Chess India interview that it all started for you with a book called The Chess Mysteries of the Arabian Nights. Mm-hmm. Um, for me, the first book I think of when I think of Endgame studies, one that's often recommended here on the podcast, but unfortunately, the only version that you can really get is done by a shady publisher um, that just kind of uh, Xeroxes books and then sells them called, mm-hmm. but the book is Domination by Kasparian. Um, yes. I'm curious which books were most formative for you uh, when I, or were you working from the database as you got deeper and deeper into endgame studies? Um, I have Kasparian's book, a real version, I think. Okay. But, uh, but, uh, but it wasn't like, and I knew my friend, uh, the friend I had 
some years back here. He had this copy. I've been studying it maybe 20 years from from today, uh, this uh, ago, uh, Kasparian's book. But it's a, it's a collection of studies. It's uh, you, you look at the diagram, you try to solve it, and then you see the solution. It's not a, it's not a, a particularly inspirational work because there are no, no pros. Right. Uh, uh, and it's going to be filled with cooks compared to something it, like it, the database, right? Yeah. I mean, Kasparian, when he died, uh, when his uh, uh, obituary was written, they said he was an exceptional uh, composer, one of the very best. Only uh, some 50% of his studies were found to be cooked. <laughs> but, uh, and it's it's really a praise because you know Im- imagine sitting there you know trying to compose something without a computer I, I i i would get nowhere now yeah because i'm not i'm not as strong player as he is uh and and i must say again pavakov uh, from uh, from russia he, he composed 10 15 years uh, without any computers at the beginning of his career and he's still the best it's uh it's amazing he's a a genius i think and he has a book of uh of his studies correct yes he has several books of his studies actually okay so i'm guessing i mean beyond your book those those might be a good place for uh... it's a good place to start and the out of the end game is the name of the book. okay yeah that's that's a a book about uh it's a book in fact about one year in his life when he had decided to write the book and and when he started writing the books, he kept composing new stuff, like uh, a maniac. <laughs> uh, so he made uh, maybe one hundred new studies for this book, and he explains the composing process and what inspired uh, him to compose. And uh, I think if, if one is looking for a major inspiration for composers, that book should be should be out there. Okay. And do you do you have any in the non-study realm? And you know, when you were playing more OTB, uh, did you have other favorite chess books, or what was your approach to to chess study? Uh, I'm not actually sure. The first books I had were opening uh, opening books uh, and some classic Danish books that uh, were never translated. So. Uh, Maybe Ben Larson's uh, the best games, yeah. Collection. Uh, that's that's a book I've I've read where I've read every word. And because he was a, a brilliant writer in Danish, Ben Larson, absolutely exceptional look, talent for writing, and for for playing chess, of course. Uh, so I'll say that was an inspiration. Yeah, he comes up. You know, obviously. Uh, Denmark has Peter Hein Nielsen and yourself, and I've interviewed uh, amateur players uh, from from Denmark as well. And it just seems like it's impossible to overstate the legacy of of Bent Larsen. It just, That's true. He just even more so than other national hero chess players. It strikes me that his name always comes up, and people are always fans of his writing in addition to his chess. Yes. yes. And what uh, he was such a personality, in fact. And what is how popular is chess in Denmark right now? Um, is there any sort of echo from from Magnus uh, in the neighboring uh, country? I think it's not an echo from Magnus because uh, that didn't go any further than uh, 
than to the border of Norway, <laughs> because <laughs> uh, but uh, but it's uh, I think it's an echo of uh, of the the YouTube influencers and uh, and uh, the whole chess boom that is happening now. There's a lot of chess in cafes now in in Copenhagen. A lot of uh, social events where people just go and play chess, and that didn't happen five years ago. And now you have uh, uh, Grandmaster Agard back there as well. Yeah, that's uh, the that's, uh, that's the guy people want to meet at cafes for sure. Uh, of course, and I guess you you since you live in the same city, you were able to work on this book together in well, person. The last the last part of the book when he moved back to Denmark, we we worked on in person in person. Yeah. And how long has this book been in the works, Stefan? Uh, it's uh, almost like an average study. <laughs> it's uh, three, <laughs> three, uh, three and a half years. Wow! I just checked our correspondence from uh, from March two thousand, and that was uh, perhaps another COVID nineteen product that uh, somehow we had this idea that uh, now was the time to make a a book of the best studies for solving. Well, it, it's it's a fantastic resource. Um, highly recommend it. Again, can't can't stress like you know you buy it once and then you can return to it f- for eternity. Basically, um, yeah. do you have any um, any closing thoughts about the book? Anything you think people should know that we haven't mentioned? I, I would say I don't uh, mention. You, you mentioned someone who who were not fond of. Uh of the artistic studies of the you know the the studies that were not for practical usage uh i don't remember the name yeah grandmaster miranda uh, go ahead okay okay um and i, I just w- I want to say that that uh, that he's right of course that you cannot uh, you cannot learn chess from from absurd paradoxes in a specific position because you'll never get this position in a million years if you play over the board. But I think chess is a bit richer than just a competitive chess. And I think each person needs to build their own house of chess where they, they, they find their, their own meaning with chess. And I felt I found this corner of chess where I can actually go and discover stuff. I can go and... Uh, I can t- go and find out if there's any position, any middle game positions where w- white needs to win. But the only way to win is to, to make uh, that black and white makes 16 consecutive king moves in right. the middle game positions. And uh, normally I'll say, okay, this is not possible. And then I made a study that showed that it is possible. So I I built this this corner <clears throat> of the game of chess. And other people, they, they, they like the historic part of chess some people like the to do historical research some people just likes to go to the club to make jokes when they play blitz some people like the you know youtube uh, uh the the influencer part of the game that is emerging now just uh, incredibly rich and uh, studies this part of it Oh, for sure. Yeah. And correspondence chess as well. And yeah, that's, yeah. I mean, obviously talking about chess every week, that's one of the things I love about it is that there, mm. there are so many, um, you know, subgenres of chess that, exactly. that 
that we can get fascinated by. And I don't think that that Grandmaster Miranda, like, I don't think he's meaning to cast dispersions. I think it's just that since he's a trainer, he's coming at it from the perspective of, of you know, hardcore students of chess, ambitious young players in particular. Mm -hmm. he, he doesn't want them to go down the wrong path. And um, so I, I don't think he or most people would say it's not that there's no place in the world for <laughs> yeah. air quotes, impractical oh, studies, um, yeah. but but that we all have to make uh, judgments about how to spend our time. And uh, when when we're addicted to chess, it's uh, there's never enough hours in the day. So <laughs> that's true. So some things don't make the cut. Um, but this has been fantastic, Stefan, for exactly the reasons you said. I've, you know, you've been on my list of people I want to interview for for years. And uh Endgame, Endgame Labyrinths is the perfect occasion um to to hear more about uh you know the many, many hours you've spent both on this project and more broadly in in creating cool puzzles. So so thank you. Thank you. And if anyone wants to, you're on Twitter, aka X, whatever. If anyone wants to keep up with you, um, is there uh, any any other method um, for uh, keeping up with your work? Um, you, uh, I, I would say uh, the the main the main block where composers meet is a Ukrainian uh, uh, block uh, run by Sergey Didok, and that's that's a really good place to discuss studies seriously from a composing okay. perspective. Yeah, and that reminds know. me. Sorry, before I let you go, I did want to ask if anyone is interested in sort of getting their feet wet, say they've never composed a study and mm -hmm. and their interest is peaked, uh, what resources and what advice might you share? Uh, they sent their study to a tournament, basically. Okay. Okay, and then uh, or email me and ask how it's done because I can... I'm there to reply. Okay, me. great. So, so I, I will. Them Excellent. So I will link to your Twitter, your email, and of course the to the book uh, links, both the free preview and the forward chess and quality chess. And uh, yeah, thank you again for for the interview and for the the book and for all of your work, Stefan. Okay, thank you. Podcast Network.